0: Jesus was asked um, by his followers, by the teachers, Jesus, give us, give us the most important part of the scripture. Give, me, give, give us, Jesus, what is, without a doubt, the most important thing uh, in the word of God, in the Torah, in the books of Moses. Give, give us, what does it come down to, God? What is it, Jesus, what is it, in your opinion, as you're a rabbi, you can teach us, you know, what is it that we, we cannot live without? Uh, take away the rest of Scripture. What would be the greatest commandment? That's what he's asked. Or he's asked by the people uh, around him. And in Deuteronomy 6, he basically just quotes what every Jewish boy and girl raised in a Jewish home would, would naturally have memorized, had said repeatedly growing up all their lives. Um, it's called the Shema. Everybody say that? Shema. That's how you remember it. Because for us, it's kind of a, a, a wacky word. But really, it just means here. In Hebrew, it means here. It says... ...because it comes from Hero Israel in verse 4. And uh, basically when you see uh, Hasidic Jews or traditional Jews... ...they'll have the flat attached to themselves. And this scripture, the Shema, will be in that. That's what they'll have attached to their arms. They took the Word of God literally. It says, keep it close to your heart. Keep it next to your mind. And, and so they did that literally. They took these things and we, they put the Shema... ...and they wrapped it up and they put it in a little box... ...and they would hold it on their wrist... ...or they would have it on their forehead in between their eyes and fulfillment of that, which they took literally. Now, we we might look at that today and just say, well, that's kind of odd. You know, I don't usually want to put a little box in the middle of my eyes. But um, they took it so literally, there's so much importance placed on this scripture that of all the other scriptures they could have chosen, they chose this one. And it's for good reason, because really it just summarizes in in its context uh, what Jesus emphasized when he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? It says in in chapter 6, he says, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may prosper, or prolong, be prolonged. So He's basically saying, that when you go into the land of Israel that I'm giving you, I want you to remember one key thing. You are to fear the Lord your God and keep all of the statutes and his commandments which Moses was giving them. In verse 3 it says, Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and with honey. Here comes the Shema, S-H-M-A. Hear, O O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your what? It'll be, New King James says, it'll be in your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit at your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's where they get that. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So you can't miss something that's in the middle, but sitting right here, a little box. You can't miss it, right? Look down like your watch. That's on your wrist. you can't miss it. You walk in your house, you can't miss it. You go um, talk about it every opportunity, whether you're getting up, going to bed, having dinner, walking along the path, going to the temple, observing a Sabbath, going to the festivals, partaking in Yom Kippur doing Passover, all these things, you're going to go back to this scripture that says, Hear Israel. And uh, you're going to hear it from the leaders. You're going to hear it from the teachers. You're just going to come back and it's all about love, 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 love. That's what you're going to hear is the greatest commandment from Jesus who says just that. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Summarize it all for us. Give us what's most important and he'll come up with this passage. And then he says the second is like it. So if you want to have something like this, what is it? Love your neighbor, right, as yourself. Once you love God, it's flowing in you and flowing out of you. It's, it's not, we're not supposed to be, you know, just a, a dead sea. We're supposed to be the Sea of Galilee. Everything that flows in the Sea of Galilee goes out of the Sea of Galilee. Everything that flows in the Dead Sea, uh, for good reason it's called Dead Sea. Nothing grows there. Why? There's no life in it. It just gets, receives, and never gives away. And so when you have the love of God flowing in your heart, flowing in your life, you're loving Him with all faculties involved, strength, heart, mind, you're giving him your study, you're giving him your energy, you're, giving, you're taking time out of your day and setting it aside for him. These things flow into you, and the natural byproduct of that is you're going to have uh, recipients of that love as you give it away. So Jesus says basically just what Moses said, which was repeated by a daily occurrence several times over for every person raised in a Jewish home. Love God. Love God. There's the most important thing that you're called to do. Isn't that amazing that God uh, is so portrayed as a a rule giver, as a taskmaster, as a morality judger in, in common society, when the reality is, ever since this law was given by Moses in Sinai, the most important thing was simply to love him, to love him. So if you're told your most important endeavor in life by God himself is to love him, and that's Re-emphasized by Jesus picking out that as the most important commandment, above observing the Sabbath, above staying away from pork, everything else thrown in there. That is the most essential thing. Then it's no doubt that in Revelation uh, chapter two, turn there. I promise we'll get to Ephesians, but I'm setting this up for a reason. In Ephesians chapter or Revelation chapter two, rather, last book in the Scripture. Jesus is, is now basically sending word to these different churches. And one of them is, is the church in Ephesus. In chapter 2, it's actually the first one that Jesus has specific things that he wants to tell them. And, uh, and we're in verse 1 of chapter 2 in Revelation. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now this is again Jesus' words to them. It says, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. "...who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands." You're like, okay, what's all that? Seven stars, basically, these different churches. There's seven of them. They have a representative or a messenger or a pastor. Whoever it is, there's some debate. But he's basically saying, I got all these churches, the leadership, the messengers, in my right hand. And I also walk in the midst of the seven churches. That's what the lampstands mean. It says it right in the end of the chapter, verse or chapter 1. It says, the seven stars, the angels, or the messengers, of the seven churches... And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So we know, he's basically saying the Ephesus church, these things, I'm the one who's telling you this, I hold these churches in my hand, and I'm in your midst. That's what he's telling them. And he says certain things to them. And he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and they're not. And you found them to be liars. You've persevered and have patience and you've labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Now I want you to notice something. In that list that Jesus goes the, to the leaders, to the pastor, if you will, to the messenger of this church and says, I want to identify some good things that are happening. You're working hard. Your labor, I can, I, it's right in front of me. You're very patient people. Uh, you don't put up with lies. All these things are good. Do you notice this whole list has nothing to do necessarily Uh, with what's going on in here, in the heart. This list is compiled, if you notice, of things that they're doing. And Jesus comes to this church and says, I know all that you're doing. The problem is you've gone away from the Shema. The Shema is not the primary thing that you're attending to, which is what? The love, right? So that's what he goes on to say. It says, nevertheless, in verse 4, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So Jesus is so, um, he's so convinced the church that if you're going to heed my words, if you have an ear, let, let, you know, let them hear, that the most important thing you guys can do or be about is loving me. Loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. problem is, they were doing all this stuff, but they had left the greatest commandment. So their cart was before the horse, right? Um, The reason why I start here, obviously, is because we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. If you are to go back in time about 40 years, when Paul wrote this letter, um, they were doing really, really well. In fact, he commends them in his letter about things that were going on that were really good. And he doesn't have any charge to them of this sort, that you guys aren't loving God. But Jesus, 40 years later, comes on the scene. He's like, the, the main thing, I, I see a lot of activity going on. A lot of activity. It's good stuff. You guys don't put up with heresy. You, aren't, you, you know, you're working hard. There's great persecution all around you, and you're, and you're persevering in that. But uh, the problem is, I've become optional. Um, it's become an employee arrangement. It's no longer a fatherly son or daughter relationship. And... Um, and that's throughout the scripture. And the reason I start here is because you have a choice right now. Most of you guys, I would guess, are in your 20s and 30s. I'm almost, not quite to my 40s. But I would tell you this. If you project 40 years in the future, if God gives you that time, um, and it's a blessing and it's a gift, then in 40 years, where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? Where's, where, what's your list? would the top of it be a lot of activity? Going to church, tithing well, uh, raising your kids in a Christian home by taking them to church, being involved, um, ushering, uh, uh, making sure that, uh, that you actually play with your kids you know, or change their diapers when they need it. All those things are good. They're works. They're all in there. But 40 years from now, if what you're doing now tells a lot of what you're going to be doing then, I would say it's pretty important for all of us to look introspectively in our own hearts right now and say, where's the list? Where's the priorities going? What's, what's the motivation for me even being here tonight? Is it, is it cool to come? Is it a social thing? Is it, is it just another thing that, well, it's good for me, I should go? Or, or have we missed it entirely where Jesus would say, you know what, if we don't correct things here or now, then what's ahead is going to be even worse. In fact, to the, to the degree where it's better for me to remove the church than to have them be away from loving me. Does that make sense? That's why it's so vital and why a lot of what we're talking about through Ephesians is so critical because Paul spends so much time, especially in chapters 1 through 3, of reminding us why we love and why we're not employees. Okay? Why we love and why we're not just doing stuff because it's better than Buddhism. Because Buddhism's a little boring and I can't get my head... Or my foot behind my head when I try yoga. You know, that kind of stuff. I, there's more to this, in other words, than, than just doing stuff and looking like a Christian. And, and unfortunately, we get kind of in the routine, or we lose that kind of emphasis in our own lives. That says, what is the gospel, and why do I love God? So that's where we're at in Ephesians 1. Is that 40 years from now? I want you guys to be more in love with Jesus. More, more um, motivated, I guess, by what He's done on your behalf. Not so much that you're loving him in what you're doing, but that you're so mindful still. It's as fresh as ever. It's more penetrating your soul than it's ever been 40 years from now when you guys are looking at retiring, possibly, if that ever happens. <laughs> uh, Quote-unquote retiring. is that, that would be what's coming out of your heart. So it's really for us, if we look, we're, we have a gift, we have the Bible, and in it contains the Ephesian journey, if you will. And it, didn't, it wasn't ending well. It wasn't ending well. So that's why, we're, that's why we're setting that up is let's not get away from the Shema. Let's make that cornerstone in our hearts and that decision now. It's like, Lord, please, if our prayer is anything in this season of life that you're in, let it be. Lord, don't let me get into a ploy situation or a servant situation. But let me remain in love with my father. Just as if my young son says, God, you know, Dad, I want to live with you forever. I take that as a good sign, right? If he said, "Dad, I want to work for you forever. I want to mow the grass forever," I would say, "Sweet. I was waiting for you to say that because I'm so tired of doing it." That aside, I would be really bummed because I'm like, "No, I want you to just hang out with me and love me." You know, there's a, a new dad I was talking to um, today. Came in the office. Um, you guys know Square Burger, uh, Dave Thomas. He, he had a, he and his wife had a little boy not too long ago, and he was in the office. And I'm all, "Dave, how does how's it feel to be a dad?" You know, and he's like, "Man, I just..." I just he's so great even when i get home he's a pilot when i get home uh he'll see me and then he'll like look at me and then it, oh it's dad and then give me a smile with his two little teeth <laughs> and you know and, and dave's just you know nick was there right he's just glowing that's that's the love of the father that he has for you guys it, even to nth degree more infinitesimally more than that and we're like god i'm gonna tie i love you so much i'm gonna go to church and he's like, you know what? I want you to love me because you know the gospel and you're, you're humbled. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's be reminded together of why we're setting our signposts to God's grace and setting our course to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, we're going to try and get through chapter 1. Hopefully we'll be able to do it. It's a big chapter. Okay. Reading from the New King James Version, it says this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing, In the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he had made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in the earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we, who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. Father God, there's so much meat here, God. There's so much gospel. There's so much truth. There's so much to be um, blown away by. There's so much to glean from. There's so much to cause our hearts to love you, which really, God, is your ultimate aim for us, is is to set our hearts upon you and to and to glory in the grace that's been poured out freely to each one of us in Christ. Lord, I pray if there be any in this room right now that as we go through the gospel as presented by Paul here, God, the anointed word of God would just penetrate and go deeper than, than my efforts ever could, God. And w- would you cause all of us, Lord, to glory afresh in the word of God that, that has this profound message of your grace for us? Lord, move. God, don't let this... Uh, your your collection of saints right here in this room go without really responding well and appropriately to the revealed gospel within so we just ask it in christ's name lord do your work in jesus name amen amen okay that's a lot isn't it like wow we're gonna get through that in the night yeah everybody straighten up stretch all right we gotta think okay summertime i realize but this is really really wonderful stuff so let's start breaking it down. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Apostle, being, he sent me out, and there was a distinct purpose by which he sent me out. He chose me, as we're going to find out, all of us were. And uh, he basically says, it's God's will that I'm even writing these things to you. Now, Paul spent a good amount of time with the Ephesians church. Uh, in Acts chapter 18, he visited there briefly, in chapter 19, he stayed for a couple of years. And he taught them. And, and actually there was a, some profound uh, things that happened there while he was there. Um, get this, you guys. Calvary Slow has had one pastor for 15 years. Senior pastor, that is, in Brian Stupar. I love Brian. I sat in his teaching for those 15 years. Greater part of that. Um, check out the Ephesian church. Not to compare him to these guys. But can you imagine this lineup of pastors? Okay, the Ephesian church had Paul. Timothy. John, Aquila, and Priscilla, and Apollos. Dude, that's a heavy lineup of leaders, right? These guys are mentioned by name in the book of Acts. And obviously we know that some of them, wrote, you know, Paul, hello, wrote the New Testament for the most part. So these guys were privy to Paul himself teaching them about the gospel. Can you imagine sitting in the teaching of Paul? This guy had been trained by the best rabbis and rabbinical uh, priesthood and was was there um, persecuting believers because he was convinced the way Judaism was correct had to, to to exclude Jesus. But then when God met him, his eyes were open. He saw every connection point. Can you imagine? It's like nerves, like not having another nerve right there to connect to. Man, all of them lined up. Can you imagine for him being set so perfectly up to hear the gospel and how Judaism complete is where Jesus is the Messiah that was promised from days gone by, in the fullness of time, he says later, all came together for him. And then he's called to start preaching. And he starts out in places like Jerusalem, Antioch, these places where Judaism was, was um, basically somewhere he would go into the synagogue. And he would teach them. How does Jesus fit into this perfectly set up scenario? It's like having a movie and having it like all the characters and the back stories are already presented and you just see Oh, uh, here comes the climax. This character is going to do this and this. And he's like, this is this is what God has done, you guys, to save Israel. But then at a certain point, as as many of us know, Paul, he, he recognizes there's a calling on my life that says, I need to explain the good news of the gospel, which has always been for all the nations. Even back to Genesis, I have a calling on my life that says, I need to explain how Jesus is the Messiah for all nations and how he fits in. To God's plan of redemption. So I'm actually, at Ephesians, he got the, he got the call. I need to go. At a certain point, Jews had rejected him. And at that point, he's like, I know where I'm supposed to be spending my, and concentrating my efforts. And he goes to the Gentile nations. And these, these, this Ephesian church, can you imagine this? They're steeped in this temple of Diana. Artemis is still remnants you can go visit today those big columns in Ephesus, all the pictures in Greece. I've never been there personally, but you can go online and see a bunch of stuff that's there to this day that was there when Paul was there. Telling them about, in fact, they started complaining. There's such big business selling idols, uh, figurines and whatnot. Such big business that when Paul came to town and he started getting some converts to Christianity, they started losing a bunch of business. And they started complaining so loud that for two hours, get this, Two hours, they're in a theater, and the people are yelling, um, Diana is the, is, the, is the god of Ephesus. Two hours, just straight, and they're just sitting there like, okay, what do we do now? Because they were so upset that Paul and his followers were making such a, they're putting the business on its head, basically. This, I mean, can you imagine witnessing that? And then he's there to hang out with you for like two years to kind of make sure you understand the gospel. These guys were, they got, had rich teaching around them. But anyways, he says, it's by the will of God that I spent that time with you. It's by the will of God that I write to you now, explaining these things. God has chosen me, and he has for us too. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a few manuscripts, a few older manuscripts, that don't actually have the words in Ephesus there in, in, in the manuscript itself. Just a few. Most of them do say Ephesus, But what they're thinking is there's a blank spot left there that this letter might have just gone to the seven churches I read in Revelation in western Turkey of today. It would have been there, and it would have just been basically to an area, not necessarily a specific church, where Ephesus being the Roman um, capital, the Roman province there, uh, a heavy-duty city, very important, both in Judaism as well as just uh, Roman uh, history, would have been them just taking their pen and saying, it was probably meant for us. It was probably meant for us. But many of the manuscripts do have Ephesus there. But because of that gap in some of the manuscripts, they just think Paul was basically saying the Ephesians are, are one church in many churches in that area. And I want to send this to all of them. Because in Ephesians, in this book, in this letter, there's not specifics of like, well, this is what you're doing right. and This is what you're doing wrong. Like the Corinthians. You know, that letter, you read a personal story, right? This is where you guys are blowing it. Not in Ephesians. It's gospel, 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 and then the application. So he says, To the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's basically saying grace to you, or charis. uh, That is the Greek word for grace. He says, if you have grace poured upon you, then you're in a position to have what? Peace. Not in the reverse order. You have God's favor upon your life. You experience peace. And he's saying grace. Peace that comes from that grace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed or praised or exalted. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That every word in the Greek means all. Go figure. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So at the very throne of God. God. Which is his favor. Which is his blessing. Which is his unmerited grace. His mercy. uh, His future promise of heaven. The forgiveness of your sin. The fact that he brings you in and grasps you into the body. Which is made up of many members from various backgrounds. The fact that he actually had a plan in the first place to save you. It's all yours. It's already been given. And it's found at the throne of God. And it comes through who? In Christ. In Christ. That is the key to the book of Ephesians. The key to the gospel. Without that in Christ. We're talking about a whole different story. And the fact that you can actually love God. Starts there right. It starts in Christ. Do you love Christ. Do you know what Christ has done on your behalf. Every spiritual blessing. What, What does that mean right there. If we just stop there. And we're like okay that's pretty cool Paul. Thanks a lot for that update. It's good to know I have a lot of blessings there. At the throne of God. He says, past tense, praise be to God. Why? Because he's already blessed us. He's already blessed you and me with every spiritual blessing there is to have already in our current state. Man, glorious for those like myself who find me in a state oftentimes of struggling. You know, of feeling like, God, how could you waste your time? I'm here in this place again of just being guilt-ridden. And you're telling me that I've already had every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places given unto me. And, and all of a sudden, you have a different perspective, don't you? You have a choice in those moments. Anybody feel like that, ever? God, you really, are you really wasting your time with me? Because you knew when you saved me, and even before you saved me, that I was going to be blowing it in this moment, the same way I have the previous 364 days of this year. And in that time, you're like, okay, I have a choice. I can preach the gospel to myself. That's a phrase that Nick likes to say a lot of times. And uh, I I need to, and Ben too, in fact, I need to preach the gospel to myself. Why? Because I'm reminded that, yeah, the reality is I, I choke, I blow it, I offend. My wife's here. She can attest to me. I love her more than anyone on this planet. And I still end up hurting her. I still end up blowing it in regards to our relationship. How much more would Jesus himself who has a perfect standard of life? I'm just blowing it left and right. And then he's like, you know what? Paul's like, here's some good news for you, Christian, who find themselves wayward, find themselves, uh, you know, not living up to the standards we'd like to live. He's already given you every spiritual blessing, the forgiveness, the mercy, the acceptance. You guys know that people spend their whole lives trying to be accepted by other people for who they are. Just me, as you, as you can know me, and you'll be let down by all that information. If you only knew half the things about me, you would never want to hang out with me. Half the things that go through my mind, probably 75% of the things, if you knew what went through my mind, you know, you wouldn't be hanging out here on a Wednesday night having me teach you, I can tell you that, very confidently. But the fact that God knows that, even before he chose to intervene in my life, makes me just want to jump for joy. And I hope it does for you too. Because you realize, I'm not trying to convince God that I'm better than myself. I just am who I am. And He's already in Christ blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Now, Paul's like, this is what he's done, but this isn't anything new. Check this out. Next phrase. He says, just as or in the same way as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Boy, there's some better news, right? Not only is He... Giving you something that you can't even put your mind around. But he's been doing it even before there was a you. Or anyone else for that matter. Or even a world having been created. That, that word it kind of points to a, a, a sperm uh, egg union of the foundation. The very beginning of it. It was before that. So if you ask a when question. God when did you love me? It was back then. However far that is. I, my mind can't even go that far. But that's when he started loving you. That's when he started acting on your behalf, is before the world was actually founded, before there was even a, a, a genesis of it all. He said, he said, this is happening, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is coming to you, but it, it's nothing new, it's just as, he chose you, and this, this is a real treat, that word, he chose you, is basically, uh, there's, there's like a, a whole lot of choices on the wall, and he says, I want that one. And you're like, me? You want me? There's a whole lot of other choices out here. They look better. They are better. If you, look, if you break it down, he's like, no, I want you. Can you imagine? God of the universe chose each one of you to be what? That we should be holy, set apart. That we should be picked out. That we should be taken from among the masses. That we should be uh, brought into this place. What? That we should be without blame before him. He knew before the foundations of the world, we, there would be a fall, that we would have a sinful nature and we would fall as well. And, and, and the good news of the gospel, part of it, is that he knew if he didn't intervene, we'd be dead in our trespasses for all eternity, deserving nothing but eternal hell and wrath, rightfully you know, deserved. But he says before the foundation of the world, he chose that we should not be in that state, but that we should be blameless. As if you've never sinned at all before Him and His throne. In love. It's all wrapped up in the love of Christ. Back to the Shema again. God's love for us. Isn't it... Doesn't it make sense that God would call you, first and foremost, to love Him? Because He's been good at it for a long time. He's been really good at it. And the object of his love, for you and me, the reality of it is, we were unlovable. We were enemies of God. We were wayward sheep. None of us looked for him. Isaiah would say, we're just like sheep. And he's a shepherd, as in the Gospels, looking for each one of those wayward people and sheep. He's like, I haven't stopped, or I haven't started searching now. I started searching before the foundation of the world. I mean, this was in my heart a long time. That's how serious he is about loving you, about pursuing you, about choosing you. That he would do it way back then, even before you even had it. There wasn't even us. Does that not comfort you? Does that not give you a reason to celebrate that God would be that interested in sinners like you and me? All of a sudden, you guys, I—if I die in a desert by myself, God forbid—that's okay really it really is okay in light of the gospel because I'm never alone and it's all wrapped in love having predestined that word is to decide beforehand I won't bore you with the Greek word you'll probably forget anyways having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself get that adoption happens by whom by him to whom to himself he purchased you To himself, just like Ephesians 5, we talked about on Sunday. God gave himself for his church. It says, He predestined us to be adopted as sons. In the Roman sense of this word, which was known to everyone, when you were adopted, your old documents or your old record from your old family was done away with in the process. And you were now forever known as a new family member whoever adopted you. So all records, this is a great image, all records of your previous. Uh, family, was all gone. And there was only to remain the new membership, the new adoption papers, if you will. And just as we were children of darkness, just as we were children of wrath, we were uh, controlled and, and led by the whims of the enemy, we were in that camp. He destroyed the papers of our own old uh, family membership and says, now there's, there's nothing that says anything contrary to the fact that you are my child. Through my son, Jesus. And it's all for him. So you're meant to be close to Jesus. He did it for you, and you're supposed to be close to himself. According to what? His good pleasure of his will. Good pleasure. It keeps getting better. Like, what? You're good? The good pleasure of God was accomplished by him saving you and adopting you and making him. You and me his children. Guys, you look around at the gals in this room or any gal you come across, you better remind yourselves often that they are princesses, that they are daughters of the king. Don't laugh, it's true. Don't laugh, it's true. No, I'm just picking on you. You're holding hands with one. How should you treat the child of the king of kings, Chris? Because you're the one who said something. (laughs) Okay, generically, guys, (laughs) how should we treat daughters of the king? Does does the does the uh, every single thing you see in media point to them as the princesses of the king who he died for before the foundation of the world? That we should esteem them as such. What's what's the message? What are you being fed all the time? They're there for my benefit as I view them as just objects for my pleasure. That's, what, that's the message. Do you see how, how far that is? That's millennium away from what God's done to bring them close to himself, wash them blameless, and adopt them as daughters. Gals, how do you view guys in the kingdom? As sons that have been adopted Their old record is gone. It doesn't mean they're perfect, obviously. We still, you know, we sleep. We still get that trail of slobber. Often has Cheetos in it. (laughs) Okay. But we're sons. Our old records are gone. We've been made righteous in Christ. That means that we get to treat each other, what? With respect and love. Loving your neighbor as, as God would want you to as recognizing there's something miraculous going on here. And I want to be a part of it. And it's called f- the family that he's being molded together into one body. Whether it's Jew, Gentile, poor, free, slave, master, whatever. We're all in love. So just a little plug for treating each other well and with respect. Okay. the Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. So the, the grace that he's pouring out in all these things... Is praiseworthy. It's praiseworthy. It's what goes before. It's the trumpet call, if you will. God's coming on the scene. The banners ahead of him in the parade say glory of his grace. It's so wonderful. We're all going to praise him for it. By which he made us accepted in Christ, in the beloved. God loves his son so dearly. We're in the son. We're included in that with our old citizenship gone, new citizenship, citizenship uh, achieved. In him, verse 7, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So this is the means by which we have 1 through 6, or 2 through 6. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption. The redemption uh, aspect of this its really quite amazing. It is in the Greek, luo truo, and I'm, I'm chopping that. I'm, that's not even close, probably, in the Greek. L-O-O-T-R-U-O, whether you remember that, I'm not sure, but it means this, to liberate on the receipt of a ransom. To liberate on the receipt, or in other words, when, it's, when the price is paid, the freedom is purchased, and you go free. The ransom that was keeping you held is paid in full, and we go forth in newness of life. In Jesus, we have redemption through what means? Everybody should know this. Blood. His blood. His blood, you guys. His blood. He suffered and died. And blood that really coursed through his veins. Spilled out. In, in simultaneous uh, substitutionary death. The propitiation of your sins. Which basically means he was the wrath absorber. The absorber was just spilling out. All the while saying, if you don't believe all this gospel, believe it now because here's the evidence of it. I am the king of kings. I am the lord of lords. I will always be celebrated as the magnificent one who gave his life. Here's the evidence. Should I be here? No. Uh, do I want to be here? I want to if it's in the, if it's in the context of what it takes. I'm willing to, to go that route for the people that I love. That did not deserve one iota of my love. But I have chosen before the foundation of the world. That this is a mystery that I'm going to go this far. But I am. And all the blood that's trailing out of me right now is a testimony of that. And it is, by the, it is the very means by which God could say. He passes over. Seeing the blood applied of his son. To your you know, doorpost of your heart. And says this one does not get wrath. This one has been passed over. The judgment is passed over. Look over in Hebrews 9 with me real quick. Hebrews 9 talks all about the high priest who gives himself for us. I want to read this. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to... If it gets late, I'm, I'll stop. we we'll don't have to get through the whole chapter. You're off. Shoo! That was close. Now, when, in verse 6, Now when the things that had been thus prepared that is for the tabernacle the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services but into the second part the high priest went alone once a year not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance now Jesus was called our great what high priest why because he went into the not the man-made tabernacle but the heavenly tabernacle with the blood of a goat or a bull no his own blood thereby, what, offering for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Now, did Jesus have any sin to commit or to to pay for? No. So it's all all on our behalf. It's not for his own sin. It's simply on our behalf. And it was symbolic, verse 9, for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, Concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshy ordinances, imposed until the time of Reformation. In other words, all the things that were symbolic of the reality, which is the only way you get forgiven of your sin is by death, was actually there at the temple. They were all symbols created by God, created by God so that we would be able to have a picture of what the reality was. That you can only go into the presence of God through having blood presented and there's only one person that can go. And that leaves a lot of people out. And even that person can't go on his own merit. He has to go with blood of a lamb, of an animal. Okay? He's saying it's all symbolic, you guys, of a present time when Jesus is going to fulfill this. And not only is he going to carry blood in, because it's necessary for the forgiveness of sins, he's going to carry his own blood in. And it's not going to be a building like the temple, like they've all been accustomed to. It's going to be the heavens themselves. That's where God, that's where Jesus took the blood on our behalf, was in the heaven himself. Because look at this, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, meeting place of God and man, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. It's a perfect lamb. How how much more can He cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, He's the mediator of a new covenant by means of His death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. We were guilty, and He did all this so we could be forgiven, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance or every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places. That's what Jesus accomplished. At the cross for you and me. Him going before the father. In the true tabernacle. Saying father the offering is here. Just as Abraham. When he took up Isaac. To the Mount Moriah. And, he, and Isaac's like hey. Dad we got fire. We got wood. There's one thing missing. For the sacrifice. We need a sacrifice. And Abraham says. What does he say? He says. God will offer represent himself a sacrifice the sacrifice is coming but it's not going to be a bull it's not going to be a ram it's going to be the son of God whose very uh, agreement to the, the will of the father and the good pleasure therein was to say I will die for the wayward sheep as a lamb that is the gospel that is why you can love him that is why Paul would say, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. In the New Testament, it's like he's actually able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he knows what it's like to suffer. So go back to Ephesians. We'll do three more verses. We'll call it a night. Haven't lost anybody, right? We're all tracking how amazing this is, right? We have redemption through his blood. The ransom has been paid through Jesus' blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How valuable is his grace? It's immeasurable. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. In other words, he is purposing in himself to do these things. But it really takes wisdom and prudence to pull it all off. Can you imagine trying to come up with this kind of plan where God can remain just as He justifies the sinner? Who can come up with a plan like that and actually execute it? It's only God. It had to have been Him, and it had to have been purposed in Himself to even have the motivation to do it. Now, I will tell you this, in thinking about this, when you have a child, like if if my son Davis, he's six years old, if he has a, a choice between two parents to ask something from, is it gonna go to my wife or is it gonna go to me, honey? Who does it go to? It kind of goes to both. Who's the softy? I am. I am. When I want him to hear no, I send him to mom. Um, if if God purposed Himself to save us in this manner, where He could, this is the only way you have just. A just God remain just in justifying those who don't deserve it. Um, it's if if He's purposes all on our behalf. It's kind of like going to want you're you're wanting something from a parent, and your 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 objective is to twist their arm a little bit to get what you want. The image that came to my mind was God's arm does not have to be twisted at all to do the miraculous for His kids. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to beg. We don't have to go saying, Lord, you know, I'll give you my whole life. I'll be a missionary to Africa if you'll just, you know, save me. He already wanted to. He's the good, he's the good parent that doesn't need his arm twisted. He's the softy, if you will. Not in the sense of, boy, he didn't, he, you know, he's, he's not a softy. But in the sense of you already have yes when you go to the throne. That's why you can go boldly. That's why the gospel says you can go boldly to the throne. With confidence. Because why? Because if God was willing to do all this on your behalf, how is he going to withhold things that are good for you as a loving father? That's really the, the emphasis there. Is that don't worry about your life, you guys. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. That's what Jesus was saying. He's like, Father knows that you need him. That goes for relationships too, right? Don't worry about that stuff. If God is going to these lengths to save you, don't worry about the other things that he already wants to give you which is a, an abundant life, which is fulfilled life, which is like the things that we, we want so desperately in our lives, and we just like, God, if you'll just do this, and then you start bargaining with a father who doesn't need his arm twisted. He just wants the faith to say, yeah, I believe you, God, to give me what you want and take away what you want in the time you want. That's, a, that's, that's the loving father you're going to. So don't go with this intention of i got to bargain, or I hope that he's, on a, he's having a good day, and, and I happen to approach him in the right timing. Like my kids would do with me or my wife. But go knowing that he's given everything for you. It's purposed in himself. He didn't need any arm twisting to, to have the gospel be something available to us. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. I'll answer that for you. Okay. So. All right. We could go to 14 if you guys are wanting it. Should we go for it? Just paying, just, just giving it your choice. You can't blame me that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Dispensation, interesting word, reflects a plan or a strategy, and the plan is of the master or steward of the family which they have established for the management of the family. Let me read that again. The dispensation, it reflects a plan or a strategy of the, either the master or the father or the steward of the family in which they have established for the management of the family. In other words... He has a family, means his children, right? And he's going to execute his management of the family in a way that's beneficial for his kids, which is to save them. And he's saying, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, meaning not only did he do it in a way that there's a system involved that that is put in place by the Father, or the Master in this case, of the fullness of times, in, in which case Christ fulfilled all those things in the perfect time... He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in the earth in Him. All things are made by Him and for Him, John would say in his gospel. So he's basically saying he needed, he did this all in wisdom and prudence. God is a smart being, he's basically saying in in so many words. And he did it perfectly. In verse 11 he says, In Him, in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined or chosen in advance, according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will, which again is a great thing. By the way, predestination, in my mind, is a census argument on, is, am I part of the elect, or you know, the, is it all our choice? You know what? All that I've read so far, if I haven't convinced you already, that it's God's choice, and His actions on our behalf, and however He works out, I'm just stoked to be here type of thing. Isn't that enough to go on, you guys? Than getting in a census argument of like, are you part of the elect? Or how do I know that I'm saved? What if I'm not part of the elect? You guys, this, it's sinners that he's saving here, okay? So we don't have to spend a lot of time having census arguments over theology that doesn't make a tad of difference anyways. It's just a waste of time in most cases. If it's theology for the sake of, I want to understand this plan of salvation better. And w- thus worship God more appropriately, then so be it. That's a worthy endeavor, but if it's just to get ammunition for your theological perspectives, to convince somebody else who doesn't agree with you on how exactly it was done on your behalf, the fact of it was, the fact of the matter is that it was done on your behalf and that's the emphasis that we should have, right? So to spend a lot of time and senses arguing on these things to me is pointless. Let's just get to celebrating. And you don't know anyways who's of the elect, so why even spend time trying to guess? Only God sees a heart, Right? We're, that's not our job. Our job is to celebrate what he's done and preach the gospel to other people that need him. Okay? So, he, don't get caught up and stumble over these words. It's, he chose in advance to do this, accept it. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him. In other words, no arm twisting needed. He does it of his free will. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that's a good thing that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That means the Jews. The Jews had this whole thing set up perfectly for them to understand how Christ is the Messiah. They had all those festivals in place, all the heritage of the patriarchs, everything they needed to understand how Christ fulfilled the requirements that no uh, person would be forgiven of their sin short of shed blood. But they had a job to do, didn't they? They had a the message to give out. And Paul was the head of that pack. Verse 13, In him, Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. So Jews came to faith. They were giving the gospel out to the Gentiles. Those people that used to worship Diana and be caught up in idolatry. He said, you also, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's how you, the good news, right? In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's coming from a rabbi, you guys, saying the Gentiles, you get the Holy Spirit too. That's great news. That's, that's radical theology right there on the part of Paul. He's like saying, it's not just... A Jewish, well, you're in our culture or not, and if you're born into it, great. If not, tough. You're a Gentile. You're uncircumcised. You're apart from the promises of God. Here Paul's saying it doesn't matter. You're grafted in and you receive the Holy Spirit just like the Jews as long as the faith is in Christ is present. And he says the Holy Spirit is also, look at that, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Each one of us, we came to Christ. In that moment, the Holy Spirit took up residence in our heart, and you were, as it were, a signet ring of a king in hot wax, has a seal left in that wax, and it dries. That's the same image of the Holy Spirit being put inside of you as a comforter, but more than that, as a promise that the future holds a full deliverance of everything we long for, which is complete um, acceptance in heaven, acceptance at his throne, being forever um, ...transformed in a new body and all those kind of things. That's what we have to look forward to. It hasn't come yet, but the Holy Spirit is such that it says there's a token there... ...of a purchase that Christ has already made on your behalf... ...but it will be fully owned at some point in the future. That's why we still have sin in this place. Because you know, it hasn't been totally completed yet. But it will be. So he's just saying, guys, realize that you're part of this too. You have the Holy Spirit just like the Jews do that believe in Christ... You're part of the promise, and just so happens the Holy Spirit resides in you, and that's a great thing because when you get when your time is done here on earth, your Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, not your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who who's inside of you is just like a token saying this one belongs to me, and it's time to fully redeem the promises that are there for this person. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, So uh, where does that leave us? Trying real hard to to please God. Okay, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up early and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray, you know, for one. You know, it, all that's out. You're just like, you already have the Holy Spirit. You've been redeemed. Just love Him. Just go back to the Shema. Shema. <laughs> Who is the guarantee of our inheritance, inheritance that's the down payment as that word means, and guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Who was purchased? We were. Uh, when's the redemption happen? It was at the cross, in fullness in heaven one day, ultimately consummated in a revelation at the marriage supplement of the Lamb, uh, to the praise of His glory. It's all for Him, it's for His glory. We happen to reap tremendous benefits. Tremendous benefits. And um, so there's the gospel. How much is up to you? How much do you have to remind yourself of the gospel when you feel like, God, how can you accept me still? Everything. How much do we need the gospel? All the time. How much do we need to know the gospel? It's worth better, you know, it's, nothing's better to have than, than, than the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. If we're, If we haven't, assimilated the gospel for ourselves if we haven't come to the place of saying god i i i'm a sinner and and your blood i want it to cover my sin and i want you to receive me as a son or a daughter if you haven't had that place in your life and you would know if you did i I believe you would know if if you if you know tonight everything that's been done on your behalf so that you can be forgiven and accepted in the family of god if there's a lacking there and don't leave tonight without talking to me or someone you came with or whatever because it needs to be established that you are part of the family for which you purchased and did all these efforts for on behalf of. You have to receive that gift. As much as I give you a present tonight wrapped with a bow, unless you open that present and receive it to yourself, it goes unopened and unreceived. Christ's work has already been done, but that's where our, our receiving of it is, is part of the process of being redeemed and transformed. That's only half a chapter, you guys, of gospel. Paul has another two and a half chapters waiting for us of deep truth. And then the last three chapters, how do we apply that in our relationships? So it's a lot. We can do it in two months, I believe. Um, you guys encouraged? Do you see the importance, I guess, of reminding yourself that the greatest commandment is to love God? Simply because he's done so much to be loved. And all of it was true to his character and his own self, his own purpose. So um, some of us, um, sadly, uh, the reality is, or I guess the sad reality would be that we would go into like the Ephesians church and kind of gravitate more towards the works. More towards what we're doing and, and, and leave our first love. And so really, what I'd love to do tonight is just um, get in small groups. It doesn't have to be a specific number. But this doesn't have to be the same gender. Let's have our, our prayers tonight. Instead of me just praying, let's, let's pray and let your heart go forth in just saying, God, and if you're not used to praying, it's okay. Just be as honest with God as you would as with anyone else and just say, God, keep my heart with the Shema where I would love you. Don't let me stray into this religion thing that doesn't do anybody any good. Gets us really tired. That's what it does.